Welcome back to We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. I'm Jessica from the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, and today I'm joined by my fellow advocates, Marie and Casey. You're listening to episode number six, our first recommendation show. Through our work, we are often asked to provide recommendations about books and resources so survivors can practice self-empowerment in learning more about how to heal and cope with their experience. We hope to dedicate one episode in each season to making some suggestions. For the first of these shows, we'll be exploring one nonfiction book on understanding trauma, one young adult novel that explores what happens in the aftermath of a young woman's sexual assault, and one book of essays chronicling various issues women face in today's U.S. culture. Finally, we'll even talk about two TED Talks, one that deals with body sovereignty and parenting, and the other that looks at sexualities and genders in relationship. So let's get started. The first book we're going to cover is Yes Means Yes, Visions of Female Sexual Power and a World Without Rape. The book was edited by activists and writers Jacqueline Friedman and Jessica Valenti in 2008. Cool story. I got to meet Jessica Valenti in person on campus, and she actually signed my book. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Jacqueline Friedman signed my book. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I'm actually really excited today that I get to talk about this one. And if you've read any of her other books, she is just as sassy in person as she is in her writing. So this book is witty, funny, and serious, and I really like that it has the full range represented. Even though this book was written 10 years ago, it's still super relevant today. This shows how long female sexual power has gone unrecognized and unvalued, and it shows that we must shift the way that we view female pleasure. Oh, and side note, I think Margaret Cho is awesome, so I think it's worth mentioning that she actually wrote the foreword for this book. The book asks questions like, what would a world look like without rape, and how do we create it? Or, what would it look like if female sexual pleasure was valued? This anthology includes many identities and backgrounds. When we're talking about social justice and sexual violence, all identities must be validated. We need to make sure that everyone has a seat and a voice at the table. The different identities represented within the book are Black, White, Asian, Latina, working class, affluent, immigrant, hetero, queer, women, and I could literally just keep going. And that's one of the reasons why I really like this book. Their backgrounds include sex workers, educators, dominatrix, bloggers, activists, organizers, and survivors. And at the end of the book, each author actually has a paragraph about themselves. And I think this is really important because it actually helps you to know the lens in which the author is coming from. The book's title, Yes Means Yes, is referring to a change in the way we view consent in contrast to no means no. The idea of yes means yes means there's an affirmative, enthusiastic yes, both physically and verbally. You should be a participant in sex and having sex because you want to. This model allows for women to have power over their own sexuality. It allows for empowerment through communication of what you want, consent, and values female sexuality. Our current model does none of those things. Have you ever felt like you couldn't say no? Or have you ever felt like the only reason you said yes was to make the other person happy? Have you ever wanted to explore things sexually and felt like you couldn't? The yes means yes model challenges all of those things. Female pleasure is not valued within the rape-supportive culture that we live in. And rape-supportive culture is a set of beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that maintain a culture in which rape is normalized. Rape-supportive culture actually maintains control over women's bodies and does not view them as being autonomous, full humans. 
I really want to be able to stop for a second and recognize that not all victims identify as women. And gender is not binary, meaning it's not restricted to men and women. It's also really important to understand that within a rape supportive culture, women or anything labeled as female or feminine is viewed as being less than. This book actually argues that if we start to value female sexual pleasure and power, the view of women will shift and this will help to dismantle sexual violence. People should be able to communicate what they want, create boundaries, and explore, and their boundaries should be respected. When Margaret Cho is discussing finding her own sexual power and valuing her own desires, she states, I said yes because it felt like too much trouble to say no. I said yes because I didn't want to have to defend my no, qualify it, justify it, deserve it. This is such a messed up way to live, such an awful way to love. So these days, I only say yes when I mean yes. It forces me to be really honest with myself and others. It makes me remember that loving myself is also about protecting myself and defending my own boundaries. I say yes to me. And say yes to yourself, say yes to desire, and say yes to the idea that you have a right to a joyful sex life, free from violence and shame. I will oftentimes hear students on campus that say that they've said yes to their partner just to make them happy or not hurt their feelings. We are taught as women to not upset people, and it's very gendered lesson that we learn as women. Well, what about our boundaries? What about our pleasure? Isn't it time that we're able to say yes because we want to, to feel empowered in saying no when we don't want to? And this can be really hard because, again, we have years of unlearning to do in order to reclaim our bodies. And if you're struggling with this and you want to talk more about it, please don't hesitate to come into the office and talk to an advocate, one of us. This book discusses that along with other topics such as body image or sexual violence against immigrant women reclaiming touch and body sovereignty, and so many more topics. I also really like that at the end of each essay that there's suggestions of similar readings within the book to check out. So if you actually like a particular essay, it'll direct you to another one that's related to the topic. This is actually how I read the book for the first time. So the index of the book has themes listed under each title. So I started with the essay Queering Black Female Heterosexuality by Kimberly Springer. And one of the themes of that essay was Here and Queer. So after that, I just went through the rest of the book with the Here and Queer theme. So it's cool if you want to stay on that kind of particular theme or different themes, or you can read the book the old-fashioned way front to back. So for anyone who's looking to learn more about rape supportive culture and how female sexual power should be valued, this is the book for you. This book is also for individuals who are looking to explore their own sexual power, regardless of their gender, and want to say yes because they mean it. Thanks, Marie. No, but seriously, no. though, this book I would recommend for anyone to read. All right. Sorry. That's it. I just had to put it out there. <laughs> Thank you. So for each of these recommendation shows, we're also going to highlight a nonfiction book that gets a little more into the weeds around the trauma stuff. Of course, I immediately jumped on this chance to talk about one of my favorite books in this realm, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. When I first started working at the WGAC last summer, I always heard Casey say that she loved to geek out when it came to neurobiology of trauma, and I totally didn't get it. Um, but now I can safely say that I do the same. And I have never been one to geek out about science. 
Yeah, I am definitely not a neuroscientist, but if any of you listened to episode two, The Neurobiology of Trauma, you got to hear a little of that geek out (laughs) moment from me. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. (laughs) Anyway, back to the book. It's a fascinating read. It goes into depth about the impact trauma has on our brains, nervous systems, and our bodies. It talks about how trauma literally reshapes the brain, leading to a change in the way we process information, how we respond to and relate to other people, and it even leads to an increase in the production of our stress hormones. The book explains the neurobiology of trauma in an easy-to-understand language, explaining that the brain's smoke alarm, or the emotional center of the brain, goes into overdrive after trauma, while the brain's watchtower, or the logic center of the brain, shuts down. So if you're a trauma survivor and have wondered why you're quick to feel overwhelmed in stressful situations, Vander Kolk has a great explanation for this. He explains that under normal conditions, people react to a threat with a temporary increase in stress hormones. As soon as the threat is over, the hormones dissipate and the body returns to normal. The stress hormones of traumatized people, in contrast, take much longer to return to baseline and spike quickly and disproportionately in response to mildly stressful stimuli. The insidious effects of constantly elevated stress hormones include memory and attention problems, irritability, and even sleep disorders. They also contribute to many long-term health issues depending on which body system is most vulnerable in a particular individual. So we see this so much of the time when working with students, how truly overwhelming the smallest of stressors can feel for them. Another critically important point of the book is that traditionally, the mental health field has operated under what's known as a brain disease model, one that believes that people who present with certain symptoms like drug or alcohol addiction, self-harming behaviors, depression, suicidality, have a disease of the brain that needs to be cured by medication, which they'll need to be on for the rest of their lives. What Vander Kolk explains is that these symptoms are so often adaptive behaviors. They're attempts by trauma survivors to cope with their incredibly challenging reality. Living in a world with a brain and a nervous system that are constantly stuck in fight, flight, or freeze mode is not easy, and it requires us to make some adaptations to the way we live, even if these adaptations are ultimately harmful. But here's the kicker. By knowing that symptoms are adaptations, it means that once the trauma is addressed, the symptoms will disappear. That means that a full recovery from trauma actually is possible. The book is awesome for anyone who's wanting to reach a greater understanding of why their body and their brain responds the way it does. It's helpful in learning about the body and the brain's automatic reactions and why, no matter what techniques you try, it can be hard to feel any sort of relaxation after a traumatic experience. The book is also great for making sense of why talk therapy on its own isn't super effective or as effective as we'd expect it to be when treating trauma. Vanderkolk explains that the fundamental issue in resolving traumatic stress is to restore the proper balance between the rational and emotional brains so that you can feel in charge of how you respond and how you conduct your life. The last part of the book gives some insight into alternative therapies to treat trauma, which include EMDR, yoga, internal family systems therapy, neurofeedback, and even the use of theater to process traumatic experiences. And of course, I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes from the book. It says that the challenge of recovery is to reestablish ownership of your body and your mind, of yourself. This means feeling free to know what you know and to feel what you feel without being overwhelmed, enraged, ashamed, or collapsed. For most people, this involves, first, finding a way to become calm and focused. Second, 
learning to maintain that calm in response to images, thoughts, sounds, or physical sensations that remind you of the past. Third, finding a way to be fully alive in the present and engaged with the people around you. And fourth, not having to keep secrets from yourself, including secrets about the ways that you have managed to survive. I really love this book. I think that in season two, we'll have a chance to explore some of those ideas that Jessica just talked about more fully. This idea of helping to develop skills in managing triggers and trauma. Switching gears a little, I realize that not all of our listeners know me that well yet. That's okay. But here's a not so well-kept secret about me. (laughs) I love reading. I read a lot. So for me to pick just one book to share with you all was really difficult. (laughs) But I did it. I stepped up to the challenge. And today I've chosen to talk to you about Lori Hulse Anderson's 1999 young adult novel, Speak. This is a fictional portrayal of a young high school woman, Melinda, who returns from summer break with a big secret. It's a bit of a spoiler to let you know that she was sexually assaulted at a party over the summer. But pretty early on in the book, you figure out that that's where the story is going. And still, this book is about so much more than sexual assault. It explores isolation, loss of friendships, rejection of the norm, and the physical manifestations of trauma. Readers will feel like they are on the journey with Melinda. We will pay witness to her constructing barriers in which she shuts out harmful people. We will hear her painful isolation as a necessary tool for survival. A quote that really stands out to me is when Melinda thinks to herself, All that crap you hear on TV about communication and expressing feelings is a lie. No one really cares what you have to say. In fact, if you pay attention to Melinda, most of what we see from her are her thoughts, conversations she has with herself. She rarely speaks to another person throughout the novel. And as a reader, you understand and feel for Melinda's desire to be heard and forced out of her chosen seclusion. Anderson explains in an interview that Speak is not just a book about rape. Speak is a book about depression. This book reflects the experience and offers hope. And I found that to really be true. I loved how this book didn't sugarcoat how bad things can be. I love that it said healing is hard. I also love that it shows that healing can happen. From the countless stories I hear from survivors, this identity is a lonely one. This sense of isolation is one of the reasons we offer a support group at the WGAC and why events like Take Back the Night can be so powerful. Finding a community who understands how heavy trauma is can make all of the difference. For anyone who struggles to find that community in person, reading stories is often the next best thing. And this book is exactly that, a story about what it's like to survive trauma. The author writes in her foreword that speak is a book I wasn't going to write. Why would I want to revisit the agonies of adolescence? Eleanor Roosevelt said, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. So I tried and I wrote this book and write it she did. The ways in which Anderson describes flashbacks and triggers is devastatingly poetic. It will give survivors a chance to see their pain on paper and to help them know that they're not alone. It will give support systems and people looking for understanding a peek inside the head of what it's like living with trauma. Anderson said in this same interview that the question she most often hears in response to this book is from honestly confused young men who don't understand why Melinda is so upset about being assaulted. 
After hearing this so many times, she realized that their confusion isn't purposefully obtuse. It comes from the fact that we don't talk about healthy relationships and sexual encounters. We don't, as a U.S. culture, teach how to be better. And I gotta say, through my years as an educator on a college campus, I agree. The issue of sexual assault is pervasive because we don't do nearly a good enough job in primary education talking about sexual relationships in a healthy way. College is too late to begin this conversation. In a minute, Marie is going to give you a potential resource that can help you think about ways to talk to kids in your life around this topic. Even this book can be a great place to start because Speak is written for a high school reading level. It is beyond important to have books like this written so young adults can start to understand and practice empathy. So if you know any middle schoolers or high schoolers, add this to their holiday list. I will say that while the content is difficult, the book is beautifully written. You won't find yourself struggling to turn the pages. It will be over before you know it. A couple fun facts are, if reading isn't really your thing, they just made this book into a graphic novel last fall. And if novels aren't your thing at all, they made it into a movie in 2004 starring Kristen Stewart. Yes, that Kristen Stewart from Twilight. From what I understand, the movie stays true to the book and is a reliable likeness. Switching gears from all this talk about books, I know Casey could talk about books all day, but I just really don't think I could keep up. But there are a lot of really good resources out there that don't involve books. Sorry, Casey. I want to take a minute to talk about how awesome TED Talks can be. But if you're anything like me, sifting through all the TED Talks can take forever and actually feel really overwhelming. So we wanted to highlight a couple for you in this recommendation show. The first of which is near and dear to our hearts because it's a TED Talk by our amazing director, Monica Rivera. I guarantee right now we are getting a huge eye roll from her when she hears that we picked her TED Talk to highlight. But know that we actually picked it for really good reason. The title of the TED Talk is Body Sovereignty and Kids, How We Cultivate a Culture of Consent. The talk begins with a discussion about how we are touched We get hugs, high fives, and shoulder pats so much that for many of us, we actually cease to notice how often this happens. Seriously though, like pay attention to how often during the day that people touch you without your explicit consent. I know when I tried, I was so surprised by how often I was touched, but what happens when we explicitly ask people to touch them? Can I give you a hug or want a high five? The results are fascinating, and much of this is explored in the talk. Let's just say there's a lot of emotions that come up, and oftentimes it can be in very gendered ways. But the majority of this TED Talk is about if we start talking to our kids when they're young, we can start to teach them responsibility around when it's okay to touch people and when they need to listen to both verbal and nonverbal no's people state. Monica walks us through a few things that she practices in raising her own adorable children as examples of how parents can actually be more mindful of raising kids so they don't grow up to be harmful adults. To get an idea of our students' reaction to Monica's talk, I asked some of our students how it impacted them. One said that he appreciated the connection she made between parenting and sexual violence. It actually helped him to see how normal everyday things can contribute to an overall system of violence. Another student reflected on how the talk helped her understand her own childhood abuse more completely. She said that understanding how the system of parenting can enable abuse to happen, and by having that understanding, she can now conceptualize how she might like to parent in the future. And I gotta say, those reactions are spot on. 
we often get asked, so how do I start talking to my kids about this? And every time I direct them to this TED Talk. And the reactions we get back are so grateful that there's actually a competent approach available. So we're often heard in presentations saying, if we wait until we get to college to start having these conversations about ownership and boundaries around our bodies, it's too late. We really need to start educating our children in more complex ways than just good touch, bad touch. Exactly, Marie. I often think about Monica's talk when speaking to my own kids about their day, how they can assert their own boundaries, and even how they are respecting others. I've probably watched the TED Talk about a dozen times, and each time it gets me thinking about new ways of approaching parenting and our work in the center. For the last rec of this show, I want to talk about a TED Talk that's rather new to me. It came to me by way of Emily Ambrose, whose name you might recognize from Jessica's podcast on radical self-love. As I was preparing to teach a class a couple of months ago, I reached out with a question, crowdsourcing for material, and Emily delivered big. I wanted an activity to help explore sexuality and relationships in a non-binary way. This TED Talk is that and so much more. There are so many layers to unpack. It's called A Queer Vision of Love and Marriage by married activists Teek and Kim Katrin Milan. A little blurb offered on the TED Talk page says this, Love is a tool for revolutionary change, a path toward inclusivity and understanding in the LGBTQ plus community. This talk is a model of possibility for people of every kind. With infectious joy, Teek and Kim question our misconceptions about who they might be and offer a vision of inclusive, challenging love that grows day by day. I really felt all of that when I watched this talk. Teek identifies as a trans man and Kim a queer woman. Both identify as Black. Kim states, queerness is our major key and Blackness is our magic. They weave their identities into how they approach their relationship. They both knew it was important to start the relationship from a place of hopeful openness. They create a space of vulnerability with each other and a loud room for boundaries that helped them feel safe in exploring relationship, which in turn led them to, as Kim put it, love each other whole. This talk offers support to people who identify as trans or queer, and it names that love is real and valued. As a queer woman of color, dominant society does not value my love. I mean, we just recently got the right to get married and know we have a long way to go from here. Know that your love is real and your love is powerful. In a society where we are told that we shouldn't exist, our love becomes resistance. Do not let this heterosexist society tell you how to love or that your love isn't enough. This talk really reinforces the sentiment that Marie just shared, in that it names that this love may be rejected by other supports. But that doesn't make that love any less strong or true. They talk about being their authentic selves, dropping preconceived notions and biases, which they believe will create stronger relationships and a better world. For folks who identify differently than the speakers, this talk can help create understanding. And it goes a long way to show what open, honest communication looks like in healthy relationships. When I showed this talk in class, several students had a real visceral reaction to this video. One commented that they never knew relationships like this could exist. She had never witnessed a relationship, including her parents, that would talk to each other about who each person was, the flaws that they had, and how they were going to work things out as a couple. Watching this video helped her see that she doesn't have to settle for a relationship where she is not seen as her whole self. Kim and Teek name that relationships are hard. Gender roles are difficult to break. And oppression is constant and unceasing. But through the ups and downs, heartache and tears, 
A commitment to each other's well-being and an open dialogue has helped them find happiness. And I think this TED Talk can help others to start to think of what they want from their own relationships as well. Check it out. A link to all the recommendations that we've made in this podcast can be found on our show notes. So that is all for this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or if you want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.